Welcome to the WP Tonic This Week in WordPress and SaaS podcast, where Jonathan Denwood interviews the leading experts in WordPress, e-learning, and online marketing to help WordPress professionals launch their own SaaS. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic This Week in WordPress and SaaS. It's our monthly roundtable show. Got a great panel, got a special guest. We've got some fantastic stories um, I'm going to let the panel introduce them. We all, a couple of the stories are we're going to be discussing WordPress 6.2. We're going to be discussing AI, um, what Reddit's attitude is it to it. Um, we're going to be discussing AI and WordPress. We've got some fantastic stories. I'm going to let the panel introduce themselves. First of all, our special guest, a friend of the show, we've got Jonathan World back. So, Jonathan, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Thank you, Jonathan. Fantastic name. Uh, Jonathan Wold, I've been in WordPress about uh, 18 years or so now and um, having more fun than ever. How about that? Oh, yeah. There we go. Can't have enough fun, can you, Jonathan? Um, I've got my friend Heather. Heather, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, hi. I am Heather Wildrenzi. I am the CTO of The Difference Consulting, and I am also known as the Unicorn Whisperer and the author of Birth of uh, Birth of a Unicorn, Six Basic Steps to Success. I love the title, The Birth of the Unicorn. I just love it, Heather. Uh, I've got my friend Chris. Chris, would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Chris from Lifter LMS, a learning management system for WordPress. And I have a podcast for course creators and WordPress pros called LMSCast. Yeah, it's a great podcast. I listen to it regularly. Um, I've got my regular co-host for the other um, weekly shows we normally do. Um, Kirk, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. My name is Kurt, Kurt Von Annen. Uh, I own a small agency called Manana Nomas. Uh, we focus largely on membership and learning websites. I've got my regular co-host for my other podcast, the Membership Machine Show, Spencer Forum. Spencer, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, it's Spence from spencerforman.com, wplaunchify.com, and my soon-to-be book, Why Jamie Marslin and I Are Arguing Over Full Site Editing, um, <laughs> soon to be released on uh, books and... DVD You're not right. upsetting him. He's just had two operations, huh? Jamie and I are like are are all good spirited. There's nothing between us, but this is gonna be like like Rocky Two, maybe. I'm gonna I'm, he doesn't know. I'm um He does, he does. He, I'm gonna ask I'm, I'm probably gonna ask him to come on huh. next month's round table show, actually. <laughs> like Stanley how, how I forgot about false sight editing and learn to love classic or something. Yeah. Stanley Kubrick sounding in the title. Well, well, there we go. Um before we go into the main meat and potatoes, I've got a couple of messages from our major sponsors. We'll be back in a few moments, folks. Are you looking for ways to make your content more engaging? Sensei LMS by Automatic is the original WordPress solution for creating and selling online courses. Sensei's new interactive blocks can be added to any WordPress page or post. For example, interactive videos let you pause videos and display quizzes, lead generation forms, surveys, and more. For a 20% off discount for the tribe, just use the code WPTONIC, all one word, when checking out and give Sensei a try today. 
Hi there folks, it's Jonathan Denwood here and I want to tell you about one of our great sponsors and that's Zolo.com. If you've got a WordPress website, a membership website and you're looking to link it with a great financial management package, Zolo can provide this solution. So all your bookkeeping needs are done through Zolo. If you need new inbox email functionality and you don't want to you pay the high charges that Google will charge you, Zolo offers a great email inbox platform. They've got over 50 apps and services that all integrate fantastic with WordPress at great value levels and they almost always offer a fully functioning free product as well so it's just amazing value also if you're a wordpress developer or agency owner zolo are looking for great partnerships in the wordpress space to get all this information all you have to do folks is just go over to zolo.com and they have the products that you're looking for. Thank you so much, Solo, for supporting WP Tonic and the Machine Membership Shows. It's much appreciated. We're coming back, folks. Just want to say that um, if you want to support the show, oh, what I was going to say, folks, is we've got a great list of special offers from the sponsors, plus a created list of the best WordPress plugins um, that offer all the solutions for yourself and for your clients. You can get all these goodies by going over to WPTonic slash deals, WPTonic slash deals. So straight into it, panel, um, I start off with WordPress 6.2. I just want to give a quick outline why I chose this, sorry, and then get your response, panel. Um I thought it had some great features. It really seemed to move on um, the Gutenberg Express train, um, full site editing, other f- exciting features. Um, but there were some other um, comments and views, YouTube videos. One came from the founder of um, Blog Vault and Mailcare. Um, that there were some concerns that, you know, what you built. Um, six months ago for a client or um, that if they wanted to use, utilize this new functionality, you literally would have to build the landing page or a number of pages again for the client. And um, that was viewed as slightly pragmatic. So, Jonathan, what did you um, what did you think of 6.2 and some of the response to it? I think a pretty good indicator for me personally is that when the update comes along, at least these days, I don't even think twice about just clicking the update button on live. So I, I don't really know all that much about what's in six to do. When it came along, though, I was like, cool, whatever it is, bring it on. That's pretty odd. All right, then. All right. Uh, Spencer, what was your opinion of 6.2? A couple of things were well appreciated. If we stay out of the full site editing conversation for a moment, just on the actual interface, uh, I really appreciate the direction things like the list view and the block um, inserter are going. I like the way that some of the graphics are are slowly being more visually represented, like getting rid of the cogwheel in favor of the tab thing. For the, so, I have this last week tested with 
stone cold like neophytes launching a site and showing them a demo of of what it's like to take an existing site built with LaunchKit or whatever and opening up a page with the block editor. Immediate win. As soon as I as soon as I take my truck and drive off the road and try to explain to them but wait, there's this other thing that you got to go if you want to turn on that goes under the hood and edits the templates and all the rest of the stuff. Blank stare. So I am going to reference this whole thing by saying, can we please draw a line in the sand? The battle lines are there. Everything about where we're finally at with Gutenberg, as, as Sally predicted years ago, we have finally achieved Nirvana. Classic theme, a stack like Cadence, Cadence Blocks plus... The block editor, everybody wins. If they keep going down this, let's confuse it with editing with block editor. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm not going to stick for that. I'm going to take everybody in my audience and just say, put on the blinders and go the other direction. Because I love where it's going. I love where the main parts of Gutenberg are going. We don't need the full site editing metaphor. Yeah, that I am um, for once. Well, most of the time, I do agree for with you. In seventeen years, <laughs> no, I mostly, I mostly agree with a lot of things. It's just the last twenty percent that I am. Um, um, so, Kurt, what was your thoughts? Because I do agree with Spencer there. You know, it, it's the it's the full site editing part. I'm not too sure about. What's your own feelings? Uh, overall, with the 6.2 release, I got a little spoiled because I was able to use Lifter's new SkyPilot theme at the same time. And so I had a theme that was built for full site editing and for that environment. And I was really, really thrilled with the experience overall. Um, one of the things that there's, there's two things. So one, when I'm working in 6.2 or the block editor, I don't like the idea that when I'm editing a page, I'm not really seeing what I'm going to get. Mm. Like I'm seeing a reasonable representation of what I might see, but you constantly have to look at that preview screen to see what's actually happening. Whereas in Elementor, I have a much better idea of what I'm yeah. building as I build it. Um, however, when I'm making long form content, I get that distraction free edit, that distraction free writing area, which to me is. That's win, win, win all, all around. If you're someone that makes a lot of content, it's so much better to write in a distraction-free area rather than just a little cube on the left side of your screen. Right. Yeah, I think that was a good um, summary of the goods and the bad, really. So, um, Chris, like I say, um, I think it's a big improvement. I'm not totally sure about full-site editing because um, I I just felt they had they needed to clean up concentrate and focus on cleaning up some interface problems, which they are doing, Chris. Um, the other thing is compatibility, you know, like what was what has been pointed out. Um, do you think, you know, it doesn't break anything, but if you want to utilise what, if you had built something six months ago or three months ago and then you wanted to utilise some of the key functionality that's in 6.2, you would have had to rebuild the thing to utilize it. Do you see that's the problem, or is that just you just got to accept you're on the train, basically? I, I, I don't think it's a problem. I just think it's part of a product that is kind of rolling out in a live environment. And, you know, we're, we're still, even though it's been four years or whatever, it's, we're still kind of early. I call it the tale of two interfaces in the sense, like, like Kurt mentioned at Lifter. 
LMS, we just launched a full site editing theme called Sky Pilot, and I've had to dive deep into the into the the editor and how um, how the new systems works and the templating. I'm actually a big fan of it because I'm not a developer, and now I can do stuff in templates without code. And you know, when you work with uh, complex content types like courses and lessons. Uh, people get opinionated. They want those templates to look and lay out a certain way, maybe bring in some other elements. And now a non-developer can do that, which is awesome. Um, but the Tale of Two Interfaces thing is the challenge. Like, you know, it looks very different. We got the new way to do menus and there's these classic menus. I was trying to do something in the widgets and there was like, there was like classic widgets and then regular widgets. And I got a little turned around, but like Jonathan said, He's been in WordPress for 18 years. I think I've been in around 16 years. And if you think back to the, your early days in WordPress, you used to like mess around a lot. And, and sometimes this is how I knew WordPress was for me is all of a sudden I would lose like four hours and it's like four o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, I'm just trying to build this vision in my mind and I'm having fun. I'm getting frustrated. I'm like playing around, installing plugins, breaking the site, just doing all this stuff. I think. Us, especially WordPress people that have been around a long time, it's time to get back in the sandbox and just mess around, play around, spend an entire sprint, like two weeks, if you can, just messing around or nights and weekends or whatever and just play. Because the more I get into it, I had to get into it like deeply because I have a product in it. And I'm like, yeah, this is cool. But it took me a while to figure out how the toys in the sandbox work. And uh, I'm pretty excited about it. I make a suggestion about something Chris said that isn't going to happen, but it would solve a lot of the problems. I like your metaphor of Taylor Two, you know, builders. First of all, the metaphors are not helping anybody. Full site editor would be more appropriately named template builder yeah. or something. Okay. Second of all, they could still rescue this whole ship hitting an iceberg problem, as I see it, by making it a separate and distinct thing from WordPress. In other words. You can go and build yourself any theme you want, even as part of the same site, but it's off in the woods somewhere, apart from the main interface. Make a block-based theme that then runs like any other classic theme. Because the starting point of this was somebody, Jonathan or, or Chris said, it doesn't break anything. It does break stuff. If you turn on a block-based theme over a classic site, yeah. it breaks a ton of stuff. Yeah, it does. Hard. And those two worlds are not in parallel. So now there's this... We're building a wall, East and West Germany, 1962 kind of thing. Like, which side are you going to live on? It's destructive to all we've done to get here. Like, literally, four years of finally getting Gutenberg working, and now there's going to be half the community going to be building these things that won't work with the other half. Ridiculous. Not your fault. I'm not blaming Chris. I had an experience about a year ago where I started playing with the full site editor and pods together. And that took me back, Chris, to what I remember experiencing like a decade prior of like that magic of like, ooh, I was playing with the loop. I was like taking a concept that I created here, some extra fields. And what I was looking at is how far could I go without writing code? And I was like, I really enjoy this. I found a lot of edges pretty quickly. Things that like, okay, this doesn't make sense to me. I don't know how to figure this out. Like even with my background... And but then eventually I got there, and as I'm looking at 6.2 and just the level of polish, it like it's I I acknowledge the challenges that you're describing, Spence. 
It's like, yeah, we haven't quite got the execution there. And maybe it's like we haven't, we're not speaking to the right audience, right? But there's something about the joy. A part of what I'm thinking about is the next generation too. Like what it's going to be like for our kids to come in here and play with this stuff. And yeah, we haven't got it there yet, but I do see these more and more pieces of magic of where we're the, going the, with the, the trajectory. The problem, the problem that I am suggesting is I, I'm on board with the creativity and let's do new stuff. I mean, uh, I'm talking to my own clients about things that aren't really headless, but using WordPress as an engine and something else on the yeah. front end with links. Yeah, yeah. The problem is we're in the car driving and all of a sudden somebody just decided to go, there's two steering wheels, two sets of brake pedals, two gas pedals in the car while you're driving, while we were already remodeling the original set of controls. And I'm like, what is wrong with the people who are making this decision? Do that elsewhere. Make a thing that works independently and people can use it or not use it, but it's not a fork in the road problem. Like which wheel actually steers the car? Because that's what I feel is happening now. It's not fun when you're already dealing with trying to teach your clients about why to give up all the external page builders in favor of Gutenberg. And then you have to explain, but there's this other weird layer of Gutenberg that's really not doing the same stuff and stuff will break and block it. You know, in practice, nightmare. So Heather, I'm just going to put this to you, Heather. You know, you you just saw, I think you just sampled what what is the problem to some extent. Because I think... I think it's tr- it, it it tries to appeal to the tinkler, to the implementer, to the WordPress freelancer. Um, you know, if you're one of those, what Chris just said probably works for you. But if you're the average business user, you just want something that works, Chris. You don't want to tinkle, tinkle for three, two weeks of your life. You just want a bloody solution, Chris. And this has been going on for four years, Heather. Um, I know technology changes, but when you're doing a fundamental change, which you've got with 6.2, that suggests to me that, I don't know what it suggests to me, because I... um, This has been the problem all along, like, and I've been saying this every time, that, like, they're just so behind, they don't understand the market of, like, I, I don't know who this is for. And, I mean... The only thing that I can say about this is I like the purple. Like I liked how like suddenly everything's purple everywhere. It just, that was what I noticed. Like everything, like suddenly the buttons were slightly different in no matter what page I went to. And like, that's how I knew that 6.2 was there. And um, I mean, things seemed to be a little bit smoother, but like, I also noticed that like half of my plugins broke this week and um, it caused a nightmare for my DevOps team. Yeah, but um, but on the other hand, you know, if you're trying, you know, um, if you're trying to, to do something that really moves WordPress on um, and is disruptive and you're trying to update something, it's like trying to do engine work on a car, which is still, which is on the road, literally. Um, it's a bit difficult. Or do you, but it, we, like I say, but we're four years on. So what, so I'm trying to find a balanced position, Evan. I know you're very balanced. Can it, is it problematic that you've got such a fundamental change four years on? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's taken them a long time to get here. And 
Yeah, I mean, it's going to take a lot of, I mean, it's it's too little too late. Right. Right to you. Right, I'll leave you there. there. <laughs> and there's point is well taken because at the end of the day, the messaging on this is on all of us, those of us who interact with customers. Now, I can't speak for, you know, Lifter because you're selling a plugin and a service, but for me having a foot in the world of generic users and software users, I can say that what people want is WordPress as a service, WordPress as a solution. Most users don't want to be tinkering anymore. They would like to be done with the tinkering. So the question of who is this for is it really should at this point be either for the end users just taking it to go or for professionals who can control the ecosystem in a logical standard way. But right now it's, God knows what that hybrid is. It's not for cooks. It's not for consumers. It's not for people eating the baked goods. It's just for anybody who randomly comes across an article today. And, oh, by the way, that's different than something somebody said yesterday. And here we are 17, 18 years into this already. And nobody's taking a stand. I mean, we're never going to change that. We have to stand for ourselves here. There's, there's one really interesting thing that comes up through all this conversation, and I think about the other shows that I've seen on WP Tonic, and we talk about the flea market and the 60,000 plugins and all that nonsense. And if there was to be a legacy repository and mm -hmm. a blocks repository, only the cream of the crop or the people that kept up with technology would be in the new repository. And it's one really good way to filter things out. Yeah, it could be. On to the next story. Um Stack Overflow joins Reddit and Twitter in, ch in charging AI companies for training data. So, Heather, um, I've got such mixed feelings about AI. AI. Um, in some ways, I feel what's been said about it over the last couple of months is really just hubrisness at its most. But medium long term, obviously, I think it's going to be big. Um, but I also think, you know, these companies, you know, you've got all the legal side, but Red Edit look, look, looks like it wants to go public. And they did build these engines, these language engines that um, did utilise Red Edit quite a lot. Um, so are, are they going to be forced to pay platforms like Twitter, Red Edit, money to have access to them looks like they're going to and how do you think this is going to affect um ai, AI in general only, well, small, only small questions ever well okay so i don't know if you noticed uh or or know this but twitter for example now wants a hundred thousand dollars a year for enterprise clients to access its api data um the, well elon, elon needs the money doesn't he well, no, I mean, I mean, it, what used to be free is is now um, like a minimum of fifteen hundred dollars a month um, for like a certain number of calls, and you have to be approved to be in in the that program. And that, but I mean, like the average cost for it is going to be a hundred thousand dollars a year, and it goes up from there based on API calls. Um, Reddit right now, people have just been scraping Reddit forever. Uh, for free, but it's soon like they're going to start charging for this as well. The reason for that, I think, is because of the ethical concerns. So it's it's not. I mean, so I actually kind of agree with them for gating off their APIs um, because the data on there to train models with is 
uh, not only is it is it valuable IP, but I mean, if people are training their their data models with like the dregs of the internet with all of these people that are like having racist and everything conversations, then like our models are going to be in terrible bias. Like we're going to end up with like, I mean, just think about all of the people that are on Reddit. I mean, it's, and like the, I'm wrong, I'm wrong for not well, no, but that's exactly it. Like, so it, all of these large language models are then being trained by like incels and people like that. So like, so all of our, our AI are going to be more biased than, than the people that we had before. So, so yeah, I mean, if we want to avoid the Terminator scenario, like then we need, we need to gate off these APIs. Right. So Jonathan, um, isn't it just, isn't this just an example of what Google and most of the major tech platforms aren't they kind of vultures really isn't google didn't google just straight scrape content off news sites and other people's websites and the newspapers and the main didn't have the sense to come together and go to google and say as a united front and the reason why they didn't do that is that they despised one another more than they despised google uh um um, and isn't this this AI? Aren't they just? It's not really intelligent, is it? It's it is something new, but it's not intelligence. It's just a language. Jo- Jonathan, uh, how much have you played with it lately? Oh, quite a bit. But and um, it provides really good content. One hundred and one. I call it one hundred and one content. It, it provides a certain level of content. Um, it, it provides like WP beginner content, you know. Um, that's what it's good at. But that's kind might, of high praise. It, well, I was being sarcastic there. So, uh, <laughs> right, um, uh, it, it's a really, it's a really interesting time. On just Reddit for a moment, I think Reddit represents. It's a bit of a perfect example of the internet as a whole because there's a lot of really terrible stuff. There's also a lot of really incredible stuff on Reddit yeah, there is. where you have people who will just go to great lengths for like something that they're really passionate about. You have incredible conversations, really positive things. And then one click away, you're in this really dark, terrible place, which is it's kind of a microcosm of just how the internet as a whole works. And in terms of like the, it, Google, I mean, it's here's because I was in that publisher world, right? I remember being in the room with some of those publishers having those types of conversations. And what I think some people just miss is that why did Google work so well? They provide an explicitly superior user experience. Mm-hmm. Like no one wants to go to a publisher's site like one at a time, like try to navigate through all these terrible UIs. And, and like, it's just, it was terrible. Whereas you can go to Google, put what you're looking for and and get that. And what we're finding, I think now with OpenAI and AI as a whole, not just them specifically, is this whole new like interface, this whole new experience where when I'm showing my kids, like it's kind of blowing their minds. 
And I'm like, yeah, th- there's something here. Like, there's a little bit of a cognitive, like, dis- like, what, how, how is this working? Like, what is this? Like, they can feel there's a magicness to it. And this is what we had with Google originally. There was a magicness to it because if you, you, know, you remember, it was a bunch of links, right? Like, you went to sites where you're browsing directories, like, you're trying to find stuff. Well, I or- think you're aging me a bit too much, actually, there, John. <laughs> I'm really excited to see. It's going to have a lot of unexpected ramifications. Like we can't predict it, but in general, I'm not on the side of the publishers. Like it's like when I sort of looked at it from that perspective, it's like they're they're holding on to something. I don't know. I I say that, but I also there's a big loss when you lose out on like the local side of things because a lot of small publishers are also just sort of pushed out of business. I don't know. Yeah. All right, fair enough. So, um, Chris, so basically um, it's a neuro network. Um, the technology's been around for ages, and then chat GPT puts the interface on it. Um, it's got a big enough data um, to improve it and then uses cloud network like Azure. So you, you've got enough computing to spew something out. And Bob's your uncle. Um, but um, it's not intelligent. It's just it takes everything, mixes it all up, and spews out something that is does the job, basically. Um, but it is, it is going to everybody's content and taking it all, isn't it? There is a problem there to some degree, isn't there, Chris? You're muted, Chris. Sorry about that. We've been here before with ads. Um, You know, if if you're not sure who the product is, you're the product. So, you know, Google reads our emails to then be better able to serve relevant ads. So now companies read our emails or our Stack Overflow posts or Reddit posts or our Twitter conversations to, um, you know, we use those services for free, mostly. Maybe you paid for the check mark. Maybe you didn't. But um, you're you're entering a contract. It's in the fine print when you sign up for those services. So you do get a lot of value for free. But in exchange, you're making your data available. And to make the case for making your your stuff publicly available, uh, if you look at healthcare, I'm actually really excited about all the healthcare data into an AI doctor so that it can predict things well in advance with more accuracy than a human. It's super exciting. But you know what we have to give up? A little bit of privacy over our healthcare data. And um, so there's there's different angles, you know, that we definitely need to be careful with privacy, careful with ethics, um, careful with like... I'm going to be... I feel guilty being horrible to you because you're such... You've been such a good friend, but I'm going to be nasty to you again. Uh, It's um, not me, it's just let's have a meritocracy of ideas here. The idea of American medical corporations having more knowledge about my data doesn't fill me with great joy. I saw a a tweet the other day that made me stop me and made me think, which was that in five years from now, um, it might be considered medical malpractice to not have an AI doctor involved in the visit or whatever, because 
it becomes a human right to have, um, you know, that level of processing of whatever the healthcare situation is. I mean, think about that. Yeah, all right, fair enough. You don't said it to me. Sorry, Chris. Uh, so, Spencer, um, I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be great times for um, lawyers, isn't it? You know, there's going to be if you're a trade lawyer, you know, uh, AP, you know, um, you're going to be really busy the next few years. The, you know, the, the, it's going to be a lot of suing going on, isn't it? Well, I mean, one can look at this from two ways to solve the problem. The the first reason there's a problem besides it being so powerful and so exponentially growing is based upon how efficient it is is taking this enormous amount of data that existed previously that was open, relatively speaking, and scraping it and delivering it. Because what that's doing is disrupting the business model that all these corporations have relied upon to date. Then... Once you just set that aside as an understanding, I mean, let's use gasoline as a metaphor, right? (laughs) For a hundred and something years, we've lived off a petrol-based economy, but now there's new technologies that threaten to overtake it. The economy of those entities is not going to go away anytime soon because they're not going to give it up without, you know, prying it from their clenched fist. But when you look at the actual benefits to society, I think the answer to this, if we make it through this transition, is going to be from, as Chris alluded to or someone else alluded to, when you have a different model where the data is not being archived and siloed and sold, but instead the data is reasonably available but yet protected in some way that you could look across 10,000 patients and come up with a pattern of how to cure this disease for everybody, then we can move to the next level. So, like, again, the metaphor of gasoline and electric vehicles. It's hard and maybe there's lots of arguments from people with big trucks and so forth. But at the end of the day, it's hard to deny that like spitting out fumes from gas cars is not, and engines uh, and airplanes is not going to get us where we need to be. So we need to decide where as a society, as a civilization, we want to prioritize stuff. And I have used AI extensively since it's come out. I've been paying for it. And I found it to be incredible in the sense of just upending the metaphor. It's like the old uh, shipbuilder's parable. The shipbuilder turns to the $10,000 for knowing where to tap the hammer, okay? Like, just being able to go right to, I need a solution because I know what to ask of the question is the the secret to success in AI. It's not going to turn you into developer or coder because you don't know the fundamentals. But if you knew the fundamentals and you had to go through all this effort, now you could just tap a hammer, ding, and get there. And even crazy stuff, uh, I have a mechanic who works on one of my cars who's a really clever guy. He's like me. And I just put a question. I said, pretend you're an expert mechanic and this and that and the other. And here's the problem. And it just spit out like a logical checklist of stuff to go over. And I'm saying that kind of stuff took forever of browsing around Google ads to get to before. Yeah, I see we're coming on. So, Kurt, there, there was this, um, the rapper Son entrepreneur Drake, you know, somebody used AI to produce a song um, and it seemed it was on Twitter and, it, you know, everybody sounded like, it sounded like Drake. And then he's a record company kind of tap-tapped on YouTube and Twitter and say, take that down, you know, um, that's copyright infringement 101, you know, they had to take it down, uh, um, so how do you think this is all going to pay now? 
I have no idea how it's going to pan out, Jonathan. That's the fun part about being alive right now is that we really don't know what's going to happen. But um, I do see, and, and kind of my fundamental things with AI, I see from two different standpoints. One is we're all excited about AI because it's new and it's fancy, but people were excited about calculators, adding machines, and PCs when they came out too. And eventually it just becomes a tool. And I keep referring to AI as a great tool. But like any craftsman, you have to become good at using that tool. Um, to me, I look at the inspiration for making original content. And there's a quote in that article that says, unless we all continue contributing knowledge back to a shared public platform, we risk a world in which knowledge is centralized inside the black box of AI models that requires users to pay in order to access their services. And that's kind of encapsulates my whole fear of AI is that, you know, the reason that I'm going to make a financial investment and time and labor to write an original informative piece is because I'm going to get a byline or I'm going to get exposed in someone's publication, journal, site, whatever. And then AI comes along, scrapes my content and gives it out to people for free with no credit. And that takes away the motivation for people to generate new original content. And if AI becomes just a spiral of recycled stuff, it, it takes away our our inspiration, motivation to grow further. Yeah, I thought that was an excellent point you made there, Kirk. I mean, it's such a mixed bag. It's going to be interesting. Great so, so a related story, a related story. Um, WordPress AI generates content blocks part two. This is from humanmade. Um, dot com. Um, they've been a, a well-respected WordPress agency for a long time. Um, so, Jonathan, what did you make of this article, and how do you think AI is going to affect the, you know, WordPress, Gutenberg, and blocks in general, Jonathan? I'm a big fan of Human Made. Uh, been yeah. so for a long time. I like what they've been doing with this. I had a chance. To to spend some time with uh, with Noel at uh, WordCamp Asia, and he was showing me some of this stuff coming. And I feel like we haven't. I mean, my own personal take right now is that we're close to some killer applications for this in WordPress. When you just combine open source, like I, I mean, Chris could probably speak to this a whole lot better than I can. Just if I think about the LMS space right now and the opportunities to be creating stuff that just speeds up the rent, like. To me, the sweet spot is AI plus humans, right? Like you don't just have it do all these things on its own, but to like in my own experiments, it saved me already so much time in terms of starting points. So my overall feeling is that we're getting closer and closer to some killer applications where suddenly it's like, how, what was this like before? Like, how would you not use these things together to get a site up and running? We don't have that yet. And to Spencer's like opening when we're talking about 6.2, one of the challenges we have in WordPress generally is that we're building, we're trying to build stuff in core like for the masses, and you end up just. I think you can end up missing the mark for mm. for quite a few folks. What it comes down to, though, is who's going to build the applications that bring these pieces together, and those are going to feel like magic. And I, I I'm not seeing that yet, um, but I feel like we're getting closer and closer to someone saying, "Yeah, in the LMS space, like this is how we combine this and this, and you yeah, can do this like with Lifter and." Boom. Yeah. Just a quick follow few question then. You say magic. Are there any particular areas where you think you were going to be seeing this magic pretty soon? Uh, I think the creation of an entire site. 
Like oh, WordPress is quite conducive to that. But to be able to say, like, I want a site that does this. Um, and just it's just pulling all these pieces that are existing, that are available today, but bringing it together. And people will be able to start with a prompt and then you have a WordPress site on the other side that has content, that has structured design, you know, all those pieces. I think you can do that already with AutoGPT or AgentGPT. People are Some of that, yeah. Yeah. But, but Jonathan, how does... How does the licensing, you know, you know, whatever theme is or whatever commercial plugins are? Oh, Heather's left. Maybe she got a bit busy. Uh, um, how does that all fit in to what you just outlined, Jonathan? I don't know. I, I think it's a great time to be in the world of GPL. <laughs> Like it's innovation is going to happen a lot faster in this space. There's a big question mark about commercial applications and like, how do you build businesses successfully on this? I think this is what I'm personally excited to see for any, but this is an area where when I'm talking to product founders, it's like, yeah, absolutely. You should be paying attention here and be actively experimenting. I think WordPress is poised to gain a lot from this and uh, I'm, I'm excited to see it. All right. then, Spencer, what do you reckon? Um, I think that we're not going to see an end to the various tools that make content available. And I, I was going to comment earlier, but I'll bring it into this, what Kurt had said about like the value to somebody who's a creator. I think we're just all going to have to accept the fact that the days of somebody being paid uh, for content that is protected are going to go away back to a more traditional patron model or a model that has to do with relationships. So in the Renaissance period, Artists sought out a wealthy benefactor who essentially said, go, go live your life and make beautiful stuff for me and my friends, right? We moved recently into an economy where there's corporations that essentially aggregate, gather, pay affiliate fees to get stuff and hoard it inside of containers they sell access to. But when we allow this to be created dynamically from AI, it doesn't make sense anymore to think like an artist is going to be paid simply for the making prompts. What will happen is for people to be implementers, intermediaries, like I have an eye for art. I have a skill for understanding what this tool can do. And I will be the intermediary on behalf of you, but I need a benefactor. I need something else. But beyond that is something we talked about with Jason Cohn many shows ago. Remember the promise that technology made to us and all the science fiction that will one day be free from capitalism as being a requirement? And we'll be able to live lives where we choose as children to do things that are meaningful for ourselves and society because AI is used on a democratic scale to at least cover people's basics. Now, I'm pie in the sky considering the, the dystopian future we're in right now with like politics and old boomers ruining the world. But I do think that we can get past this. And if we do, the promise of AI applied with that mindset is we don't have to think like, geez, how can I hustle my entire life just to survive and maybe hope to rent an apartment or send my kids to school? And instead, people can use these tools to make really amazing stuff. And then the whole conversation goes away of, do I have to make a living at it? I just do it because it, it's good for me, good for society. It feels good. I mean, yes, start the mini violins. But as a capitalist and a realist, that's the reality of what we're dealing with today is the tug of war between the trillionaire corporations and people and the regular rest of us. Right, so Chris, what do you reckon about this human made? Uh, Spencer had a big statement there, but... Um, dun, 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 dun. Yeah, so what's your reckoning on this? I think Chris? there's an important uh, like rubric to put things through, which is the, 
the difference between like a co-pilot versus full disruption or replacement. So I think GitHub Copilot is a great name. I love a good product name when I see it or feature name or whatever. Um, so if you think about a truck driver, at first there's probably going to be a co-pilot, but eventually with the AI driving the car and then or the, the truck, but then it's going to become fully autonomous fleet. The human doesn't even need to be in the vehicle, but there'll be that transitionary period. Um, when you think about WordPress Copilot, um, the human is still needed. We need the creative engineer, the visionary. It's going to be an iterative process. We need to add, AI um, can't is not emotional, so you need that human emotion in the copywriting, in the um, mm-hmm. in the story parts of the website. And yes, you can you know AI can will be able to create its own movies and lessons, all that. But if to tie it into an area where I give it a lot of thought about with the LMS industry, um, if the goal is not to be like, to write a prompt, be like, okay, I want you to make an LMS website in the kettlebell fitness niche and make a bunch of money, coach a bunch of clients and deposit the money in my bank account while I, you know, snorkel in Fiji. Like that's a full delegation of the entire thing and AI is not ready for that. But when it comes to a co-pilot, what, what would a co-pilot do? It would uh, create the site from a prompt. I think of it sort of like really fancy lorem ipsum. You still got to replace some stuff, maybe redo some images mm. with AI yourself or with real pictures or whatever. Um, you still got to massage the content. Uh, when it comes to like auto-suggesting as a ghostwriter, like, oh, as you're writing this, quiz question or let's maybe we'll auto generate a quiz here based on the content or um, the big thing that's going to be really cool. And I think we'll do a lot of good for society is the personalization that's going to happen. So as you get into a learning path, I mean, let's, let's fast forward like super far out. Like I want to learn about investing from Denzel Washington and the character from the movie training day. And you get this completely custom, personalized thing that adapts and makes sure you grasp the key concepts as you keep going. Um, in the same way that we're like dramatically personalizing our images and our text outputs and uh, eventually movies, entertainment, video games, it'll become so personalized that w- when we were kids, we had three channels approximately or whatever. And now there's like, a hundred and then YouTube, there's like a million channels or whatever. This is, we're still on that exponential curve of personalization. The me, the, the personalization for and the learning opportunity there is super exciting, particularly around kids that fall through kids and adults that fall through the cracks of the ed- education system to be able to have more personalized education is going to be massive, but AI is going to play a big part of that. But do you, um, just to finish off, um, Chris, do you really see in the next year that fundamentally you're going to see a lot of disruption in the WordPress space based on AI technology? 100%. Or I'll say 99% because of how fast things are moving. Uh, But there's also, there can be challenges like, Something really bad in society could happen with AI that would have negative repercussions. Um, there could be legal things that pop up around content or whatever. But like uh, Spencer mentioned, uh, it's a good time for the GPL. So 
all this like open source free stuff that we've been contributing to the free open web and then AI can you know work with that where we've already done so much work in the past that I think we are going to see a lot of change because the raw materials are here people are figuring out how to drive it big companies are competing with the large language models and figuring all that stuff out um, it's just there's just going to be a, a period of rapid innovation a renaissance and particularly here in WordPress I, I do see that happening all right, um, I'm going to go for our break, folks. Um, we've lost Heather. She must have had some technical problems, but we will be back in a few moments with a couple other great articles. Back soon. Hey, it's Ben's from LaunchFlows.com. If you've been looking for a fast and easy way to create powerful sales funnels on WordPress, then look no further than LaunchFlows. In just minutes, you can easily create instant registration, upsells, downsells, order bumps, one-click checkouts, one-time offers, custom thank you pages, and best of all, no coding is required. For as little as $50 per year, you can own and control your entire sales funnel machine with Launch Flows. Get your copy today. This podcast episode is brought to you by Lifter LMS the leading learning management system solution for WordPress. If you or your client are creating any kind of online course, training-based membership website, or any type of e-learning project, Lifter LMS is the most secure, stable, well-supported solution on the market. Go to lifterlms.com and save 20% at checkout with coupon code podcast 20 that's podcast two zero enjoy the rest of your show we're coming back folks i just want to point out if you're looking for a great hosting provider and let's be frank about it most of the hosting providers in wordpress aren't that particularly good um if you've got a big learning management project membership uh, community website and you're looking for a great partner have a look at wp tonic we love you we've got 15 years experience we specialize in membership and buddy boss websites go over and you can find out more what we've got offered to the wordpress community by going over to wp tonic slash partners wp tonic slash partners and let's have a discussion so Back into it, folks. Um, well, this is an interesting one. It's a shame that Heather had to leave us. So, um, start startup founder Charlie Jarvis accused of tricking J.P. Morgan, charged charged with what, 175 million fraud. Mm. So, um, Spencer. Um, Obviously, she's been she is innocent until found guilty. So we've got to point that out. But on the other hand, um, it doesn't look too good for her, in my opinion. What's what's your own feelings? And if she is found guilty, and that's not that's not guaranteed. How did the hell did she manage to pull it off with J.P. Morgan? I mean, I would break out a couple points on this. It's unfortunate that Heather isn't here. Suddenly, yeah, it's, it's yeah. appropriate for her to respond to this. But number one, I can draw in the parallels between Elizabeth Holmes right now got sentenced hard versus the other male counterparts in the past who've done these frauds. And she had, whether you argue it was intentional or not, she has 
young children that she created while she was in the process of this whole litigation. So they didn't seem to use that as extenuating service, uh, circumstances to throw the book at her. But at the same time, let's not forget, like, J.P. Morgan has perpetuated fraud on the American public for over a century. And even when caught red-handed, no penalties are allocated out, uh, i.e., let's just look back to the mortgage crisis of 2008 to 10 or whatever. So this is like a prime example for anybody who has not been a, a, aware of what's going on around them. The rules do not apply equally to humans versus corporations, and they don't apply equally to genders or to races or colors or anything else. And we are seeing this played out right now. I mean, you can look to politics as well. She was very clever in understanding the mechanics of how a corporation worked. And we see lots of examples of this all over the place. Some of them are remarkable. That's why I think it's always funny, like when we're having password protection forced upon us. The greatest thieves of all time are on YouTube explaining how I created a cocaine cartel. And it was like becoming friends with the secretary or the receptionist who had the sticky note on the side of her computer that had the passwords to the, the safe. I mean, it's just human engineering stuff. But the way the litigation is playing out is tragically, uh, it's, it's, it's a, I don't know what the word is, but it's like playing out exactly as the movie would have been written. Like it's ironic at best because if she was a, a powerful white male, this would not be happening in the same way um, as per lots of cases that are in the news these days. Mm, I don't totally agree with that, but I see where you're coming from. Um, well, so, I mean, you know, yeah, they're yeah. not going to let her off the hook. It's JP Morgan that all the right people they're friends with and do business with them. So they're going to put her away. And that's that. Like she took well, a chance with who she stole the money from. Well, they did, you know... Uh, well, allegedly, sorry. Allegedly, we got to say that. But allegedly, she did go to a data scientist and ask them, ask him, and I think he made $17,000 to poof, make a list <laughs> with all the data. Um, she disputes that. So, we must be We must be. I, I mean, the, the allegations that are really different here is Elizabeth Holmes' case had to do with whether or not the actual technology existed and worked. Here, the main claim is most of the people on the startup's list of users were fake. Okay? Yeah. You hire a data scientist to make up fake users, allegedly, that doesn't bode well for the fact that you're selling users, right? It seems a bit. It seems a bit iffy to me. But um, so, Chris, um, the other interesting aspect to this, we've had, like, you know, um, Spencer's brought up the Blessed Elizabeth, and I've been, <clears throat> I've made it very clear my feelings about the Blessed Elizabeth, um, but. It, um, where I disagree with Spencer, um, the aspect that really interested me, Chris, is that we've had quite a few of these. Um, we've had uh, a major incident in the crypto space. But when you look at these founders and controlling agents, their background, they 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 have similarities. They, they come from privileged, semi-upper middle class rich backgrounds, they go, they all seem to have gone to the most MIT or Princeton, they, they've gone to the most prestige 
private education and then the most Ivy League education establishments, yet they seem totally immoral and crooked to their core with no no moral compass of any sort. Whatever goes, goes, though. Um, what, what What's your response to what I've just outlined? Or does, or does that interest you in any shape or form? I mean, I do have a background in social science and stuff like that, but I don't, I don't really have the data and the and the histories on like all the criminals of this type to make to shape that kind of stereotype. But I would say that, um, you know, greed, criminal behavior, deviance. One of my favorite college classes is called social deviance. It happens in all levels of society. Everybody on this call has engaged in it in some way. But um, greed greed is greed. And there's also a percentage of the population that's psychopathic or whatever. So it's um, that exists. Mental health, mental illness exists. Greed exists. Uh, selfishness exists. Um, narcissism exists. And these things play out at all levels of society. And I think, um, but they, sometimes they look different depending upon the resources people have and, and how it plays out. So um, I love those. I, I don't know. There's like a video where like these people visit a prison and they're like, take one step forward if you've done X and X. And there's everybody's actually kind of moving together. But yet this one group is here more in prison or whatever. So it's just, I think it's more just a, human nature and um but greed you know the when money becomes an addiction and an obsession it takes over people we we just see those stories it's like an evergreen story as part of the human story so um jonathan um was it also that um morgan were in a rush they 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 wanted to get into the financial app um area you know we've got apple Looks like Apple were making a real big push into the personal banking space, and lo- looks like they might be successful. You know, if you've got Apple shares, even though they're mo- they're some of the most expensive, you still might get a really good because it looks like they might actually pull off what they're up to. But was that what J.P. Morgan just were in a big rush because they really wanted to get into that financial app? And the story that Charlie was telling them did seem really attractive, didn't it? So there was a show I started watching and I I couldn't, it was like too much for me. It's called Inventing Anna. And it's the story of a woman who basically, like she creates this entire, apparently it's based on a true story. But the the core premise of it because she was trying to raise money she would work with these influential bankers and like all these people and so much of it was social engineering based on this premise that people believe what they want to believe right like yeah. it's so someone at JP Morgan it sounds great right like they could yeah. they probably showed them the live users right yeah. like yeah. show you could show them a couple thousand that was legitimate like it was real there yeah. was like according to the article like 300,000 plus real users you show them that and I can imagine, and it's, and I'm going to guess that maybe it was exactly just greed, right? I can imagine a scenario where you could have, like, if you'd been honest about it, you probably wouldn't have got the valuation that you wanted. Or, or there could have been a future state where the users, the reality did catch up to what she was projecting. 
but it didn't get there. People at Morgan believe what they wanted to believe. And then, and then ultimately now they're just moving the blames. Now it's still clearly wrong. If she said that that was, we have 4.5 million and only 300,000 were actual humans. That's fraud. Right. But it's interesting because in general, people just don't look very far past what they want to be true. Um, yeah, I think I, I think Spencer's made a really good point because I, I'm going to have to back off a little bit and say she is innocent. These accusations have been made um, because Spencer made a really good point. You know, the the organisation that's making these accusations isn't mo- morally... Uh, or, in fact, a particularly, um, I wouldn't say credit, I'm struggling for the right word, but for them to, to, they've got their own problems, JP Morgan, to be frank about it. I thought that was a really good point there, Spencer, which I hadn't thought about. They're the last people to, you know, accuse anybody, really. Um, so, Kurt, um have you got any, how did she think she was going to get away with this, really, if she is found guilty of it? You know, because obviously we only go by what publicly has been stated about this case, but the um, if she did go to uh, a data scientist and ask them just to formulate, it doesn't look too good, does it, Kurt, does it? Well, I think... You know, I'm going off of an article. I'm not an attorney, right? So I'm just reading what I see and and did a little bit of other poking around. Corporations are under an unbelievable amount of um, social stress right now to promote and look for, um, you know, business principals and investors that are female, especially in the tech area. So. So she comes to the market and says, I have this cool mail list. I have these 300,000 people. We have no idea what happened in those meetings. They could have said, hey, this would be really Mm -hmm. valuable if it was 4 million, but you only have 300,000. You know, we're, we don't know if she was coerced. We we have no idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, before Musk shelled out 44 billion, which is a whole lot more than 175 million, he said, hey, I think there's only 16 million actual accounts. You know, um, it's not uncommon at all for people to buy a, a thousand followers on TikTok so they can go live. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you made a really good you made a really good point there because you know um, we did have this thing with Elon Musk and Twitter, same type of argument, and in the end he said, "I don't want to buy it," and he was forced to because they took him to uh, the De- Delaware um, court. Um, um, so he was kind of semi-false to, but it's a similar scenario. I think that was a really good point there, Kurt. I didn't take that. So, it's, but it does seem to be a bit, a little bit further on though. Um, but he had a similar argument with Twitter. Twitter put forward that they had all these users, and then when he delved into it, um, he said, "No, you haven't." But yeah. it must have. Been, but on the other hand, it must be a bit different because in the end, he was forced to buy it. Kirk, he was forced to buy it. So, yeah. But I see where you're coming from. Um, let's wrap it up with the last story. I'm going to ditch the, but just finish off with the SpaceX, the Starship rocket blowing up. Um, it was an amazing sight. Um, um, Kind of spun as well. It was a success. Well, what was your reaction to it, Jonathan? It was an amazing sight, but you would have thought they would have strengthened 
the base area so it didn't all blow up as you switched all those engines off because it did cause a bit of engine damage, didn't it? Dude, like I'm still blown away every time I get in an airplane and just like how it works and that it works. And I love it. I'm actually quite intrigued by kind of all of it. So at this point, like there's so much complexity to this stuff that I just give, I, I, I recall reading like comments from people who follow this stuff closely and talking about how much of a win this was, even with the blow up. Right. So to me, I, it just kind of blows my mind in general. I like that we're even trying things like this and that, like airplanes work. So kudos to all the folks involved. Uh, I'm excited to see the next time. Yeah, so Spencer, I, I, I just presume that Elon wants, you know, seemingly you can put 100 people into the spaceship. I suppose that's enough room for all his girlfriends, wives and children that he's had so they can all go to Mars. I suppose that's the main principle, isn't it? The success or failure of this particular one was this is the largest object ever attempted to be lifted off the planet with rocket motors, but all the engineers upon whom Elon relies said, "Um, hey, listen, um, we've always used this thing called a flame tunnel called, you know, the rocket. The, the the exhaust from the rocket goes down into a gargantuan swimming pool of constantly filled cold water and is deflected sideways. And it'd be really neat since this is bigger than the Saturn V rockets that we did the same thing. And Elon's, no. no, no. no. A concrete pad that I used to have my barbecue grill on will probably be fine. And so when they looked at what happened, there's perfect evidence that essentially this thing disintegrated the concrete pad that was uncooled and unvectored thrust and shot boulders up, which destroyed half of the engines at takeoff. So the next time when they rebuild it, I think they'll be successful, which is really incredible considering mm-hmm. the, the, the thing worked. He just blew up its engines on the takeoff because they didn't <laughs> bother to put in the... Uh, well, it's a kind of semi-nuclear explosion. I don't know the precise forces. Well, but what, happens, what happens is you got instead of the giant F1 rockets, like five of them, they have lots of smaller, powerful yeah. ones. I know the, the name, they've been reusing them. But if a certain number of them go out, the rocket is doing this, and it's, it self-destructs, or they they hit the self-destruct, you know. So, Chris, what did you think of it? You know, it was amazing in a way, but, it, you know, it, it's a... I think this has been the topic of this show, really, Chris. It's a, it's a lot of grey in these discussions, isn't it, for obvious reasons. So it, it was a success in one way, but, you know, if what Spencer's outlined, it kind of meets into the kind of culture of SpaceX, doesn't it? You know, you know, oh, we're not going to build these channels. We're just going to have a concrete and it blows up half the engines. It's all kind of linked, isn't it, Chris? culture and outcome really in it well i think if if uh you know it takes four plus years to really get gutenberg built in wordpress i think we can <laughs> cut elon a little slack and get into mars and you know part of trying something new is failure this is just very similar you you've been unfair there building a blockhead to, to get in wordpress is much more complicated than going to mars you know come off it you know i'm not a rocket scientist especially, so I literally you know, can't dealing with the wordpress community most of them need to be expelled to reddit it you know they say they're trolls at their core is the understatement of the 
century. Uh, um, uh, um, so <laughs> there's a certain part of the WordPress community. I think they just spend all their time on Twitter. Just you need to actually do some work, people. Not spend all your days on Twitter, mate. Uh, um, so, Kirk, uh, what did you reckon about this explosion? I'm supposed to follow Mr. Badgett and his quick wit with that one, right? Um, I, I just, I look at the funding and I look at, you know, hey, what did NASA do? It wasn't that long ago that, you know, I was working at wall-to-wall sound and video and we were all watching the Challenger take off and it blow up on takeoff, you know? Um, things happen. And, uh, you know, he's made the investment and yeah. his budget substantially less than what our taxpayers spent with NASA. And so it's like, hey, let's let's see how far he can go. He takes, but he does take these like large leaps, and then and then he he's like happy about the failure, right? Hey, we learned from it, and it's like, well, okay, it, was a, it was a it was a day away from Twitter, so he was just probably happy to get away from that Twitter crowd. So uh, um, that's my opinion. Well, panel, shame we lost Heather, but I think she had technical problems. I think it's been a great discussion. Um, Listeners and viewers, uh, um, support the show. Go to the WP Tonic YouTube channel, subscribe to it, and also tell people about the podcast in general. We, um, our figures are going up. You seem to like the content. It's great. And my last statement, folks, is it's really easy to become a hater. What you've got to try is become a lover. Uh, um, that that is the story, especially for the WordPress community. Uh, um, be more loving, not such haters. Uh, um, we will be back next week, fight next week with our normal interview show, and next month, the last Thursday, with our roundtable show. We we'll see you soon, folks. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. We really do appreciate it. Why not visit the Mastermind Facebook group, and also to keep up with the latest news click wp-tonic.com forward slash newsletter. We'll see you next time.